Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the podcast. And for this month, we're going to be focusing on missions as a church, as Clarence Church of Christ. We're focusing on missions this month. And so we thought we'd sync the podcast up with that theme. And so that's what we're focusing on. And today to talk about missions, we're going to be taking a little bit of a I guess, somewhat personal look to that in that Mitch has just started graduate school. And we're going to be looking at uh, the intersection of missions with one of his assignments uh, for school. And so I'm going to turn it over to Mitch just to kind of explain, one, if he wants to explain how that whole process came about with schooling and then kind of what the assignment is in the book. And uh, we'll kind of have our conversation evolve from there. So go for it. So to start, you kind of wanted me to go over why I'm doing it in the first place? If you want to share that yeah. part, sure. Yeah, sure. I just want to make sure I understood. Yeah, so... um I definitely want to be involved in um, ministry as I continually go. I'm going to completely cut that out and try again because I just had the biggest brain fart I think I've ever had. It's okay. So yeah, part of my reasons for pursuing graduate study is because I want to be involved in ministry and I believe that this kind of Higher biblical education is a great way to round myself out, to learn some things and gain some new perspectives that I might not have had before that would help me to um, better reach the people that need to hear of Christ's love for them. So that's just kind of the basic reason why I'm doing it in the first place. But uh, when it comes to some stuff I'm reading, I'm currently... You want to explain where you're going, what, who are you going to through, which institution you're going to school through? Right. I uh, am currently pursuing a master's degree in Bible and theology from Lincoln Christian University, which is a school based in Illinois. I'm doing my degree online. Um, it should take three years. It's designed for people who are you know, involved um, in ministry or involved in their personal lives to a point where they don't really want to step aside for a given period of time, put everything on hold for their education. They want to just supplement what they're doing through the degree path. So that's good. Yeah. My, one of my alma maters, is that the right term, right? <laughs> yes. Or would it technically be your alma mater since that was the last, last one? Place? Is that what the term references? Maybe. What's the plural of alma mater? I don't know. Our, we're talking about Latin here, right? Is that what alma mater is or not? Yeah, it's a dumb, okay, so. it's a dumb language. <laughs> so anyway, but. Um, but yeah, so part of my study right now is reading a book by, uh, Richter is her last name, um, called The Epic of Eden, which is kind of, she does a really good job in the introduction and in explaining that a lot of times we look at the Old Testament kind of the way we do like a disorganized or messy closet in our lives. It's like we know everything that's in there. But with the way it's organized and with the way stuff is just kind of thrown about, it's hard for us to know where to begin in terms of sorting it out. So she she believes that we can sort out our knowledge of the Old Testament by understanding a bunch of different things, whether it's um, the culture, the history, uh, the geography, um, and all of these different things kind of she writes about in in a way or an attempt to get us to better organize our knowledge of the Old Testament. And then as well as, um, you know, the timeline, I think she gives five Old Testament figures that you can 
you know, easily memorized to organize your Old Testament knowledge, which I believe is Adam. Yeah, it's Adam, Abraham, or Abram, Noah, Moses, and David would be the five. And then through the the covenant or the lineage of David, obviously Jesus arises and then we get to live in the wonderful reality that we do live in. Um, so yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things that I learned about or kind of something that rounded me out was just learning about the culture. I mean, there's, I think most of us know Kings and judges and that kind of thing. Like eventually the Israelites or Israel turned into a monarchy. But before that, in the time of Abram, it was a very patriarchal society where pretty much everyone, and that's the reason the genealogies are written in the way that they are, is because you're only really a value in relation to the patriarch of your little ecosystem. So that's why it says, oh, he's the son of him. Or, you know, he's the father of this person. And very rarely will you hear you know, women brought up unless there's a very specific intent for bringing them up because they were kind of the head of the family and they were kind of the ones that were dictating how things should go. Um, but then, you know, obviously we got to the monarchies where there was um, the northern kingdom of Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah. I believe that's, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Northern Israel, southern Judah, yeah. Right, okay. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, that's kind of, I think, a lot of the history that I focused on was more of the, the monarchy stuff, but not necessarily what the culture was like before then. Um, a lot of my Old Testament study is just kind of taking what I'm given and just accepting it at face value, which, you know, I think is fine to a certain extent. I mean, I believe the Bible's God's word, but through that kind of deeper understanding of all those subjects that she's writing about in her book, it's been kind of enlightening to me, and um, it's been really cool to see how God loves us and how God is humble. Do you want to, or can you touch on, I know we've talked about this before recording, about you mentioned in your reading about how she addresses covenant and so maybe touching on that concept specifically and, and how God, at least from what we talked about, how God interacts with Abram, Abraham and through covenant. And it may be kind of in correlation to that, the idea of how God meets people in the, the worldview that they already understood at the time, if you will. At least that's kind of how I took our conversation. Maybe you can explain it a little bit better, but because covenant kind of has partly to do with that. Like God meets Abram in a covenant because he would understand what a covenant meant. It wasn't like this brand new concept that Abraham exactly. had no idea what it, what it was. So can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, for me, and that's that's another example of my Old Testament study where I just kind of take it at face value. It's like, all right, well, God wants to make a covenant. He wants to make a promise or a contract. That's, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm just going to go along with it. But there's actually a really big revelation in God's character to what Jordan was prefacing just now with why he does that. And um, you'll see in the um, the history um, of the Jews and the Israelites is that in that society, covenants were very common, whether for political, social, or commercial reasons. 
Um, and one of the biggest types of covenants that would come place, which would take place later, probably more in the era of the monarchies, but still to make the point, I'm going to bring it up, um, which they would call a suzerain and a vassal covenant or, you know, treaty or something like that. And the suzerain was like a, usually a larger, more powerful state. And the vassal was the smaller state, which they would kind of create an agreement with one another to say, hey, we're not going to fight each other. And usually that's to the benefit of the vassal because they would get absolutely decimated if the suzerain decided to just take them over. And as a result, the vassal would give tribute to the suzerain or the higher power and um, also the vassal would offer their men in military service to the suzerain and then vice versa. Uh, an example of that you see with Joshua and the Gibeonites, right? Um, where Joshua ends up by oath having to come to the aid of the Gibeonites that he forms a covenant with, you know, kind of, he kind of gets hoodwinked, but he's good on his end to support them in a military fashion. Well, anyway, kind of going back to the time of Abram, um, again, these kinds of covenants were really common. Um, they were cultural where you would, you and another party would make oaths between one another. You would typically sacrifice some kind of animal in a ritualistic fashion, which served two purposes. So after you sacrifice the animal, which is kind of like the signature on the paper, basically, the weaker party or both parties, I, I guess, could happen as well, would walk through the remains of the animal and recite their oaths, which is kind of them admitting to the other party that they know what the consequences are for failing to uphold their end of the covenant. So then with Abram, God promises to deliver Canaan to him and um, wants to inspire confidence in him by making a covenant, which is this cultural concept that Abram would understand. Um, you know, he even asks God, he's like, how do I know? Like, could you just let me know that you're going to like give me this land or whatever? And he said, God basically says, all right, well, you know, get this, this, and this, and sacrifice this, and, you know, we'll make oaths and stuff like that. And then it talks about, like, darkness descending on, Abr on Abram, which is kind of um, a consistent biblical metaphor for God's presence, you know, literally coming alongside someone. And remember, I said, and Richter points this out in her book, that typically the weaker party is the one who will walk through the sacrificial animal and recite their oaths to say, hey, well, you know what? I understand what's going to happen if I don't upend, uphold my end of the bargain. But in God's humility, God decides to walk through the remains of the animal to inspire confidence in his son Abram that, hey, I'm really going to give you this land. Even though he's the God of the universe and he's able to do all kinds of things, he humbles himself to the point of inspiring confidence in this man through a cultural means that he understands, uh, and through humility. So I, I know that was a lot. Hopefully I said that in a understandable way. I didn't use too many big words, but... Um, no, I mean, if anything, I my hope is for anyone watching or listening that it encourages or inspires you to want to learn more about these 
concepts yourself. I mean, there's kind of like a base level understanding of what they are. And then it's like the, the deeper you find out about it, the more it's like going from black and white television to color. Like it's just, it's not that you didn't get it before. It's just that much more clear and brighter and more vibrant. And I think it just adds a whole lot more just context and understanding to it. And, and then just to sum up, and, you know, one of my assignments, you know, we kind of went over how you would explain that to somebody else in teaching the Old Testament. Um, one of the analogies I gave is, like, think about the apps you download or other installable services that you have. And you usually have to agree to these things called terms and conditions. And usually you, not being the business or corporation, are the weaker party and you're the one who bears responsibility if things go wrong. That's why you're like attesting to these terms and conditions. But now imagine these old Testament figures who make covenants with God being those people agreeing to the terms and conditions, but having that corporation or the business be the one who is selfless and humble and who takes on the responsibility of the failed terms. That's what God does even though he doesn't have to. It's very gracious and it's humble and it's loving. Yeah, so to kind of tie this back to our theme of mission, I mean, the the, the points or highlights that, that I hear Mitch making is that, I mean, ultimately, if you go back to post-Adam and Eve falling away from God, sin enters the world, you know, humanity becomes separated from God, and there's these little glimmers of hope of how God's going to redeem people out of that. But Abraham's really like that first main person where you start to see a lot of things sort of funnel down to one particular family and line and all that. And you have a lot more specificity of like where things are going to, how, how God's going to deliver uh, humanity. I mean, some of that doesn't become a little bit clearer till you get closer to Jesus for sure. But None of that makes sense if you don't first kind of understand the Abraham and covenant and, and all that and the people of Israel and where, how Jesus comes about to start with in terms of uh, a place within humanity when, when he's incarnated. And all that to, to kind of go back to this whole idea of covenant or Abraham, like none of that, we, we wouldn't even care one thing about any of that had God not initiated this whole thing to start with, which goes to what your point of, you know, in a cultural sense, like, God would be the stronger party of, of a deal, if you will. But he didn't even have to take that initiation. Like out of his abundant grace and compassion and love for the creation, for us as his creation that he has made, he initiates that process to enter into relationship with, with humans and, and you know, eventually to, to save them out of the trouble that humans have brought themselves in under to start with. And so when we talk about mission, like mission, can, the mission that we talk about with Christianity or being a follower of Jesus and calling people to follow Jesus can never be separated from the God who is on mission. God being on mission is just part of God's character. And we see that bore out in, in the things you're talking about that you're learning in the, in this class, at least with this particular assignment. Um, but ultimately, just the whole idea that God wants to be with us, like, and this is what we see within missions in general, right? Like, there's an element in in our 21st century world where, like, you can share the good news of Jesus and be a witness to people technologically, like getting the news to them via like online avenues or video or whatever. But ultimately, it takes an incarnational encounter with somebody to like ultimately experience the life of Jesus, like. That's what the church is, right? It's not just 
names on a screen that you encounter somewhere. It's an actual encounter with the life of somebody. So even if it's maybe through virtual avenues, it's dealing with conversation about real life. It's, it's dealing with real life things, real life people, um, ultimately. And so in some form or fashion, mission involves people encountering other people. And that's ultimately what we see with God is he comes to encounter or to be with or to look back on the, the Christmas season that we just celebrated, God being Emmanuel and coming to be with us. Um, we see all that taking place with, with God's character and him initiating relationship with, with humanity. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's cool to see how all those things intertwine together. But to me, it's even more mind blowing that, that God makes all of this happen in and through cultural elements that were already happening. I mean, not that God couldn't, I mean, ultimately it all comes back to him the the brain thinking all that you know all that kind of stuff to like even come up with the idea of a covenant like god's the one who ultimately is behind humans inspiring that kind of agreement between people but the idea of like covenant was already up and going when god initiates this relationship with abraham and i think that's another interesting facet of this whole thing at least from my hearing of it from you talking about it is just how god meets humans where they are like yeah it's not this like oh i you know, you got to come up to me <laughs> or whatever. It's he's the one who belittles himself of his own accord to meet people who didn't care one lick about him. And yet it's in it through that, that we have become saved ultimately looking down the line to when Jesus comes on earth and we encounter his life and see his life. And we follow his life now as followers of Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's the practical takeaway is that God is, giving of himself and his love and he's humble enough to meet us where we're at and at the time of abram that meant using the culture as a medium to get his message across and um you know he's pursuing us today as well in the midst of all the stuff that we have to deal with in modern day so yeah i mean it i guess one one point i would highlight is that god and God doesn't meet people like at a blank slate stage. It's always like where they are, <laughs> no matter how messed up they are, no matter what situation they find themselves in, God meets them in that moment. And, um, I mean, that's ultimately the witness we have throughout scripture. That's why we even know about this with, with Abraham is that, you know, the, that witness of God's or Abraham's encounter with God is, you know, was passed on generation to generation and becomes part of eventually what we understand of how we understand, how we encounter Jesus down the line. Um, but again, God meets Abraham where he is. And I think that's cool that God, I mean, it, it's, I guess for me, it's just like, think about now in our, our world where it's like, how, how is God going to use the things that we find ourselves living in, in the midst now to further his kingdom or to make his kingdom more known or to call more people into follower, being a follower of him. And we, we live in no different of a time. It's just further down the plan that God has initiated um, or the mission that he's executed. But I don't know, we can often be stuck or like get in a rut of thinking like, well, I'm not sure how anything could ever happen with X, Y, Z. And it's like God can meet us in the most whatever situation or he can, I mean, he can start, he can use things in the 21st century too. Um, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to start, the whole process of like revelation and the Bible and like all that kind of stuff like that, that's a different thing altogether. But, but working in and through the context in which we live, 
Um, it's encouraging to know that God did that back then with Abraham and he can still do it with us today. And so I guess my encouragement is to have eyes to see and ears to hear and just an awareness, if you will, of, of how God might be doing that in and through each of our lives or our lives as a community of following him. You have any more thoughts you want to add on? No, I think it's time for the one six eight debate. <laughs> I don't remember what that, we even talked about one. Didn't I didn't even tell him. That's a really simple question. Shouldn't take very long. Yeah, no. I think we might agree on this. I think, but you give me your take first. Is it soda or pop? Depends on where you live. <laughs> for you, like definitively. For me, for me, it's pop. Okay, we don't agree. <laughs> and I, I know I'm on the out here. But my cause... kids are confused because my wife calls it soda because where she grew up or how she grew up, it was called soda. So they, they call it soda probably more often, but they know what pop is too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but. You know, what, you're in the South, it's Coke, right? Everything's Coca-Cola or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Even if I, it's Mountain Dew or something like that. But I just know as like a Buffalonian, like I'm completely on the out when it comes to calling it soda, even though I know everyone calls it pop here. Is, I might be confusing the words here, but there's, there's some term, I, I can't remember if soda is one of them, that like you get closer to central New York and it, there's like a weird pocket of people that, they use, I can't remember if soda is that one or if it's a different word that I'm trying to think of. I know there's a word like that where it's like, is it dialectically different or whatever, like different places? Yeah. But like Western and like this like one pocket in New York uses like the different term for some reason. I forget why, but. I just think, I mean, I just think soda is just a better word. I just think for me, like pop is too aggressive. Like it doesn't sound like <laughs> I something I want to drink. Soda pop Soft was the term drink. back in the day at one point and it just got shortened but soft drink soda not <laughs> like you don't want that and it's absolutely not soda pop like no fence sitters here like come on it's like oh i'm not a republican or a democrat i'm a republican democrat it's like well what does that even mean it's like it just ugh. so what like what does coca-cola say their product is I've never looked that up, but I don't know. Maybe they just call like, it like what do they cola, call it? or like they might call it a soft drink. I mean, most people are aware what a soft drink is. I think it's kind of odd. Soft drink is not like a re- it's not a regional used word, as far as I know. Yeah, see, but... but pop sounds like a hard drink, you know. <laughs> and I don't mean alcoholically. Mm. I mean it just How? it sounds it sounds like just aggressive. <laughs> it's like you want some pop? No, I don't want pop. I want soda. Just like a soda. Relax. Club soda. It's not club pop. Hey, could I have club pop? It's like, nah. Nah, I just can't. I can't do it. I don't know. I think soda is the definitive term. And sparkling sparkling water might change all this because it's carbonated beverage. That's another term I've heard before. Sparkling water. Carbonated beverage. I've, I've definitely had more sparkling water since I've known Jordan, but it's still. But Mitch calls it something different. Yeah, potpourri water. Because <laughs> it's like, it's just scent, it, which it's is scented fitting. water. It's it scented water. Is. It's just weird. It's like medicinal water. It's like, ugh. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think it's soda. Jordan thinks it's pop. 
most of you will probably agree it's pop. Let us it's know okay. what you think if you think differently. I just like to remind you they they also hated and remind Mitch that he's wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd like to remind you that they also hated Jesus because he spoke the truth. So, but you're not speaking truth, so it's different. So, well, <laughs> anyway, good question. Typical debate question, but good question nonetheless. So, all right, thank you everybody for joining us, and we look forward to having another episode where we talk about mission in this month and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining. Bye everybody.